Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. I have like, I'm like handcuffed. You know, I can't do all that I want to do um, and uh, just wait till those handcuffs are off. So after March, you better watch out. So I feel very handcuffed, very restricted uh, with her appointments and stuff. I even have to stay local for meetings. I can't even do all that I want to do. Uh, but just you wait. Uh, you'll, see, you'll hear of a crazy guy in New York City going nuts, but uh, I'll be, the chains will be off and I'll be ready to go. Let's grab our Bibles real quickly and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. I couldn't remember if I preached this over at Saving Grace, and if I did, may just encourage you again, Pastor Prime, but this was a birth out of a discouraging time in our church. So uh, lately having cancer and going through COVID wasn't the first time we struggled. Uh, during the preparation of this message, uh, we had a septic flood in our apartment, 90 apartments worth of sewage uh, dumped into our apartment uh, graciously, and we lost almost everything in mo- many of our rooms. Think about right now, if you were to have sewage about, you know, maybe, you know, maybe mid-cap or knee below, and what all that would affect in your rooms, in your closets and in your room, uh, in your kids' rooms, in your closets, and all that kind of thing, in the hallways, what would you have to replace and get rid of if it soaked in that, that raw sewage that had floaties in it? And uh, that's what we had to go through, and uh, we, had to, uh, we had to move out of there, and that was kind of early on. And we'd lost two families. They said they weren't returning around this time. And God gave me this message uh, to encourage me, just as David encouraged himself in the Lord, uh, God gave me this. And so uh, let's, let's read uh, our opening text here and see what, if this encourages you as well. But Nehemiah uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, uh, the Bible says here, Now it came to pass when Sembalat and Tobiah and, and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall. And that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sembalat and Geshep said unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after the sort, and I answered them after the same manner. I want to preach a simple message, reasons I can't come down from the wall. Reasons I can't come down from the wall. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, would you help us with this message? Lord, help us understand that there's a work to do. Lord, if I can just encourage somebody this morning that there is something to do out in this world to reach people for God, to plant churches, to support missions, to have a strong church that does these things, Lord, uh, we, we do have hope, Lord. We have hope in you, hope in heaven, which is our home, but Lord, we have a job to do until we take our last breath. Help us to not come down from the wall, for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Reasons I can't come down from the wall. Even right now, there is a rubble and a smoke pile right now in Israel, just as we read in our text, as we look around at what's happening in the context of even this great verse, where uh, the walls were broken down, the city was on fire. And let's pick up a little bit of that by way of introduction in verses 17 and 18 in chapter 2. So go to Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18, the Bible says, "Then, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, 
and the gates that were burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more reproach. Then I told them with the hand of my God, which was good upon me. You know what he said? It Just as, as Elizabeth saying, God is good. God's good upon us. He's put his hand upon us. And the king's words that had spoken, uh, spoken unto me, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Number one, the reason we can't come down from the wall, the reason we can't stop the work of God and serving the Lord in his local church and planting churches and supporting missions is number one, because Jerusalem lieth in waste. As we see churches close, as we see our world in turmoil, as we see sin abound in our society and in our culture and among Hollywood and our entertainment industry, it's not a reason to go back and to shrink back and, and be in fear of man and, and think, well, well why, what's, what's, the, what's the purpose in doing it anyway? We ought to do more for the Lord. We ought to support more church planters. You know, sadly, among the need today of, of rebuilding and, and building churches, it's a tremendous need. It's almost like a Goliath type need that it, it seems insurmountable. But even among the people of God, when Goliath was, was challenging the armies of Israel, you had a bunch of people that said, well, he's too big. He's too strong. It's, it's, uh, who could fight against this war, uh, war uh, warrior? This guy, just this man of war. Who could defeat this Goliath? Yet a little boy, David, said, you know, is there not a cause? And he picked up some stones and slung them and, and killed that giant. We need, to, we need to attack this thing head on. We need to stand for God. Jerusalem lieth in waste. Why we can't stop doing the work of God is because Jerusalem is in great need. Now, obviously, it's talking about a real place, in, you know, as in Jerusalem, and a real pile of rubble. But we're spiritualizing it a little bit, understanding that there's a work to do in America. We need to reseed America. We need to replant America. We need thousands upon thousands of new churches to be planted. We need that. You know, what, what happens when a church is planted? Again, not a boast, as we mentioned this morning, uh, just quoted what the church is, is, is stayed in. You know, we went from nothing to we, we support seven missionaries at $100 a month. The, the, the church budget in that small church is 100000 a year. It now supports a, a brand new pastor. And uh, there's a church planner that had joined the church and we're sending out to plant a church. And there's a guy in Bible college looking to plant a church in Boston. That's, that's exactly what we want for church planning. That's exactly what the desire is as we support missionaries and church planners. As we stay strong for the Lord, Jerusalem lies in waste. And when we support a church planter and we, we support what God's doing in the United States of America, it changes the course of that city. There's now a gospel witness. People are saved and change their thinking. And even as we are maybe concerned, uh, even uh, be, uh, because of the political uh, landscape, and when you plant a church biblically, it then gets people to think biblically toward politics and even uh, has a solution towards that as well. But Jerusalem lieth in a waste. Now, let me read uh, what somebody said about America. He said, we've arrived at a crisis in the church, uh, which should awaken a deep feeling in every heart. We have turned away from God. We have grievously backslidden. We have fallen into open sins. We have brought dishonor on religion, opened the mouths of gainsayers, and made us a reproach and by word before the world. And now God is ready to come out in judgment against us. He is already chastening us with his sore displeasure. Reverend Bidwell said that in 1846. 1846. Reverend Bidwell, I'm sure you're doing somersaults in your grave because we've gotten way beyond what he said. And he said, we're at a crisis in 1846. 
You know what we say today? We're in a, we're, I mean, a crisis would, would belittle his word. I mean, we are far beyond a crisis. We are in a need to plant churches, and we, we need to support missions in our local churches. Now, what we're thinking about, just by way of understanding, is the work of God was destroyed. What God was doing and what God could do, the worship of God was in ruins. There was no temple. There was no synagogue. There was no place for the people of God to worship their God. Uh, there, was, there was no church. There was no city. Jerusalem lieth in waste. And the wall of God was broken down. Someone said, uh, said this, uh, far from being over-churched, America, America is drastically under-churched. Now, this is not an independent Baptist quote. This is about all churches. The church-to-population ratio has been steadily declining over the past century, and they say uh, that, that, uh, that they, they want to have at least one church per 10,000. That's where I got that statistic in Sunday school. And he said, we, 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 uh, we now ha- have, um, we, it's like 0.01 per 10,000 residents of, of America. And that counts all churches. I mean, that counts Mormon churches, Scientology churches, Catholic churches, Church of Satan, uh, uh, hate-filled churches, all unbiblical churches. That counts them all. And they said, we're severely under church. If we talk about this kind of church, a biblically sound church, a biblically preaching church, a soul-winning church, you know, a church that has standards and principles upon God's word and preaches the right stuff, uh, we're severely, tremendously under-churched. And you say, well, we have some mega churches, don't we? We got that big one out in Lancaster, California. We got some big ones around the country, uh, down near Crown College of the Bible. You know, we got these big ministries, right? Uh, they're sending missionaries. They're under, uh, under uh, supplied. You know, they're, they're not getting the young students. And by the way, we should not depend upon Bible colleges to send out the workforce. Church planners come from churches. Hey, who reached me? Somebody knocked on my door. Mr. Wayne Birchwell decided to, to knock on a punk kid's door when I moved out at 18, and, and I became saved and became a church planner because somebody knocked on my door. You know where the church planners are? Right outside these walls. They're right here. Why do we got to go down to North Carolina or Lancaster, California, or down in Tennessee, Powell, Tennessee, to get our church planners, to get our pastors? You know where we got to get them? Schenectady, New York. Albany, New York, the surrounding suburban area of this great region. That's where they're at. we got to go get them. Jerusalem lieth in waste. We have a lack of church planners. We have a lack of churches. We have a lack, lack of biblical principles. We have a lack all across the board. But all we need is just some that can make a difference. What's the reason I can't come down from the wall? Because Jerusalem lieth in waste. Because it's a horrible environment in the sense of what we look at today is not a reason to go backward, but a reason to go forward. It's not a reason to quit, but it's a reason to go. Number two, because the enemy is fighting. Why do we always complain about God and hate God when, things, when bad things happen or we see bad things? Why is our knee-jerk reaction complaint and arguing and, and getting on Facebook and just blasting everybody? Well, uh, why do we give in to the enemy so much, even if it isn't even our flesh? But look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Uh, we kind of read it at the beginning. Let me read that one more time. Now it came to pass when Sabalat, Tobiah, Geshem, and Arabia, and the rest of our enemies heard that I build the wall. <laughs> Pastor Prime, he's over at that church, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Ah, he thinks he's pastoring a church now. Oh, that's that's kind of cute. Uh, went from just attending somewhere, now he's pastoring something. Oh, he thinks he can make a difference in Schenectady. He didn't make a difference at Fonda. Well, that's the enemies. That's the way they talk. That's the way they belittle. When they heard that we built a wall, when they heard that we started making some changes, when they heard that we started pastoring or planting a church, when they heard we entered into the ministry, they fought against it. 
And it, I like how he's very upfront. He said, and, at the, and there was no breach left there, and though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, the enemy never waits till we're done. The enemy never waits till we got it, got it all fixed up. You know, as Nehemiah is kind of just telling it, he's like, hey, they all came at me when I just hadn't really got it all set up yet. He's like, I, you know, at the time I you know, didn't set up the doors yet. He was a church planner, I don't know. But he was in the building project. He was constructing, you know, what, what God had led him to do. And the enemy started fighting. The enemy never fights and hardly ever fights when all things are going good and you're spiritually strong, you got money in your pocket, you got health in your body, and everything's going well, there's no issues. The enemy's like, oh, that's a great time to attack. They're strong, they're, they're firm in their faith, they're not struggling, they're not stressed, they're not tired. I'll attack them when they're very strong. No, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What does a roaring lion look for? He looks around for the weak, the, the handicapped, the bloody, the ones that are a little bit slower than the rest, the ones that are going through a stressful time, a little bit tired, maybe they're lagging behind a little bit. That's what the roaring lion looks for. He's hungry. He's roaring. He's looking for somebody weak. The enemy is fighting. They thought to do me mischief. Uh, look at uh, verse 2 there in our text. It says, and I sent messengers unto them saying, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the end of verse 2 there, uh, that Sabal and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together. And someone in the village in the plain of, oh, no, let's, let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's talk about your doctrines. Let's, 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 let's talk about your strategies here. Let's get a cup of coffee at the local cafe. Let's talk about this. You know, by the way, talking is not doing. Let's go talk. But if you look at the end of verse 2, it says, but they thought to do me mischief. You know what mischief means? In the Hebrew word, this is interesting. I thought it just meant they thought to do them wrong, right? Just as, as a casual reading, if you don't look at a dictionary or look up a, you know, a Hebrew word here, you're like, okay, just, you know, they thought to kind of be bad toward them or whatever. Mischief here in the Hebrew means bad, evil, or giving pain, unhappiness, or misery. So essentially, this enemy wanted to give pain, give misery, or unhappiness. The, en the enemy here wanted to, to distract, deter, divide, destroy, and damage the work of God and what he was currently doing. He wanted to destroy it. He didn't care that he hadn't really set it up yet. The enemy was fighting. The reason we can't come down from the wall, the reason we can't stop the work is because there's something to do. You don't have to go out to coffee with every young guy that wants to correct your ministry. You don't have to look to all the gurus and how it's done. You know, I hope, I hope you didn't get the wrong idea from Sunday school. That's just principles of God's word. But, but I'm not the expert on church planning, and nobody is. And I don't care who writes a book on it. I don't care what blog is written about it. I don't care what session or whatever conference is, is spoken about, unless there's biblical wisdom there. We don't have to follow the gurus. We follow God and his word. We don't listen to the enemy, and especially we don't listen to the enemy. That's among the Christian world that can be a pressure to follow. But we don't listen to the enemy. The enemy is always a liar. The enemy will lie. Well, you're that way because um, uh, this the thing you're doing. You're, you're this way because you're tired. You're this way because you're stressed. You're this way because you're not evangelizing the way you should be. This, you're this way because you didn't follow up on that visitor. You're, you're this way because you didn't follow up on that, that, that young family or whatever. And, and the enemy fights at us. But we can't come down from the wall just because the enemy is fighting. They want to give you pain, but God wants to give you peace. You know, they want to give you unhappiness, but God wants to give you joy that can fill your heart, that passes all understanding, you know, and peace that passes all understanding. But God is greater than the enemy. God is greater than the enemy. You know, I like what he says here in verse 3. Then I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? He's like, he sent messengers. I can't, I can't stop what I'm doing. I'll send somebody over to you. I don't have time to stop 
to answer your text message. I'm going to send you an email back. I'm doing something here. I can't be talking to you right now. Satan fights the Christian. He slanders, tempts, hinders, wrestles, tempts, harasses, blinds spiritual eyes of unsaved people, uh, keeps unsaved acquaintances in bondage to sin, smites, murders, sows tears among the good seed of the word of God. He deceives, he persecutes, he tempts. He's at this moment uh, seeking whom he may devour. He assuredly will slander you before God, Revelation 12, 10. He uh, asks sometimes for God for permission to sift you like wheat. Who, who did he look for? He looked for the apostle Peter. I want to sift him like wheat. You see, Pastor Prime, I want to sift him like wheat. I want to give him more pain, more misery. I want to sift him like wheat. And he wants to do that to every preacher, every church, every Sunday school teacher, every financial secretary, every deacon, every pastor. He wants to sift them like wheat. He wants you to be unhappy. He, he may use the power of suggestion to move you away from the will of God. He wants to cripple you. And we uh, definitely fight the fleshly nature of our own bodies, selfishness, destructive addictions at times, idolatry, sexual immorality. Boy, the enemy is always fighting from within, from without, Satan himself. The enemy is always fighting, but that's not a reason to stop the fight. That's not a reason to come down from the wall. We do not agonize in prayer. We do not hold the hordes of the altar and cry mightily to God and wrestle with them as his servants did who prevailed. We do not read the scriptures and hear the word of God and love and meditate upon it as we ought to do. We are not faithful enough to each other as Christian brethren. We fall into sin and backslide and bring reproach upon the cause of Christ. We suffer each other to go on without laboring with each other and admonishing and reproving one another as our solemn duty to do. We need to band together as a local church family and serve the Lord with gladness in the will of God, doing God's work. We don't listen to the lies, the doubts, the tempts, the destruction, the fight, the devouring, the depressing, the domination of the enemy. You think about even Satan himself and the enemy themselves. They want to dominate you and, and overtake you. But I think thirdly and lastly is really why we do all these things. Well, Jerusalem lies in ways. There's a need to plant churches. There's a need for churches to stay strong, to reach young families, and to be established in their faith and doctrines, and then to see young churches get started. There's a need uh, to not listen to the messages of the enemy. And by the way, it's like this. I don't know. I'm a 90s kind of guy. I'm, I am younger, but I grew up in the 90s. And there was, there was a guy, maybe you heard of him. He's called Michael Jordan. Uh, he was a basketball player. I mean, he, was, he was okay. You know, but it, it's like this. You know, you got Jordan playing in his prime in the 90s. And you got this guy in the nosebleed section. And they're like, you know what? Hey, Jordan, you're trash. Man, if I was down there on the court, I'd show you how to dribble that ball. I'd show you how to shoot the ball. Uh, you're trash. And you always got this one fan that thinks he knows better. Hey, coach. I could coach Jordan way better than you could. And uh, he's calling down to Jordan in his prime, trying to tell him how to do things. That's how it is sometimes in ministry. You have all these people doing the work of God, and you got a guy doing nothing, but yet yelling at the players, yelling at the ones doing. Now, I'm not saying that you can, you can never hear criticism, you can, you can never grow, and you should never take ear to someone's advice and counsel. And the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And there's godly counsel gives safety and gives, gives uh, uh, stability to your Christian life. There's nothing wrong with that. But I have something wrong with somebody that does nothing, that's, that's even, even fleshly in nature, trying to tell you what to do, and you're trying to be godly and pray and seek the Lord and do God's will. And let's be very careful. We're not criticizers when we're doing absolutely nothing to those that are doing everything. 
I, I can't come around the wall just because the enemy is fighting, just because the enemy wants to dominate me and tell me what to do uh, when I'm doing the work of God. You know, he couldn't come down because he's doing. He's doing. Number three, and lastly, the reason we can't come down from the wall is we've already read it. Look again at verse uh, three. It says, uh, and I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Now, I don't really exactly know what he meant by great work. I think it probably meant it's a huge responsibility or it's a sobering reality of the responsibility you had to rebuild that wall for Jerusalem itself. And that could be more of what we're talking about. I don't exactly know, but I love that phrase. I'm doing a great work. And I like how he says, I am doing. I can't come down and stop because I am doing. I'm doing a great work. Now, there's much we can say about this work, but let me make it very clear. I'm not great, but the work is great. I'm not great, but the work is great. The people are great. The experiences are great. The salvations are great. The church planning is great. The local church ministry is great. Serving the Lord is great. Doing God's will is great. Having God in my life is great. Getting saved was the greatest thing I've ever did. Accepted uh, God as my personal Savior. It's, it's all great. It's a great experience. It's a great sacrifice. It's great services, great victories, great memories, great salvation. The work is great. Become a part of it. Become a part of that. Because you know where some of our other church planters are? Yes, I've said you could knock on their door. They could potentially be in Schenectady. But it could be, maybe that's a, a, a church planter's wife right there, that, that young girl. Maybe some of these boys will go to ministry. And by and large, that's, that's who does go to ministry. It's these kids. By the way, if you look at it, if you're in this long enough, you older uh, people know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the kids that go into ministry. And a lot of them are pastor's kids or missionary kids. But, but this is where the church planters come from. We kind of shove the kids off to the side. We don't really fund them as much as we probably should. We, we make sure their, their facilities are falling apart and they need repainted. And we kind of avoid kids' ministry. But that's where the church planters come from. That's usually where they're saved. And uh, it's where a lot of our salvations happen and VBSs. But it's a great work. We need to understand that we can't stop the work because we're doing a great work. We're, we're, a, 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 we're, we're set up already. Now, see, we're not lying in waste. We're a church that exists. We have our walls. We're not a heaping pile of rubble. Can you imagine if you came to church today and there was a heaping pile of smoke and, and rubble and you'd say, wow, it's, we got to do something about this. We got to like, clear this out, rebuild, or find another property. We've got to do something. Can you imagine? But that was their, that was their situation. And then they start rebuilding and then the enemy comes right, right at them. I'm doing a great work. The work is great. Now, uh, the work is greater in, in, in three main ways as we close. Let me, let me give you these thoughts here. Look at verse 4. First of all, the work is greater than the messages of the enemy. Look at verse 4. Yet, I sent, uh, yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. You see, uh, just, just in our text there, chapter 6, Nehemiah 6, verse 4, but I didn't make that clear. But, you know, it's, it wasn't enough for the enemy. I, I think sometimes we say, we say, okay, I'll resist. But the enemy came multiple times. Hey, why don't you come down and talk to me a little bit? No, I'm doing a great work. Hey, why don't we go get some coffee in a local cafe and I'll talk about your ministry goals. And No, I'm doing a great work. I don't have time to talk about strategy. I'm, I'm currently involved in it. I remember there was a, there was a church planner 
He didn't even do anything yet. He just stepped out to be a planter. And, and the moment he stepped out, it, me, my wife and I had the same perspective. We thought he was he's automatically overnight an expert and was already maybe four or five years in the plant. And we just, for some reason, we got this vibe from him, this, this perspective that he just was an expert. And, uh, and, and maybe he was a good thinker, I don't know. But he, he did nothing, yet was an expert on everything. And he, he then led his ministry in, in that way and wrote all these blogs and people kind of followed him. He went a different direction other than the doctrines of this church. He changed. And you know where his church is today, Pastor Prime? It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. All these young guys, man, they have these great ideas. Uh, they got all this money. They got all this stuff. They got all these people following them. And in some cases, the church just died. You know, you know what I recognize, Pastor Prime? You can have all the money in the world, all, this, all the people in the world, like support staff in planting, and still not be able to plant a church because God builds his church. And he doesn't need some snot-nosed young kid saying, well, I'm just going to redo, redo everything, reevaluate all the stuff, that the heritage that I've received. It's interesting, the message is the enemy. And you can answer all those texts, but you can just answer them four times. I'm doing a great work. No, no, I'm doing a great work. No, listen, listen, guys. I'm doing a great work. Now, listen, I'm doing a great work. I can't stop and just talk about strategy. I'm doing something for God. The work of God is greater than the message of the enemy. The work of God is greater than the distractions of the, of the enemy. In verse 3, we've already kind of read it. We'll briefly just think about it. He says, why, why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? We need to support that planter and make sure the work doesn't cease. Number three, the work is greater than the laughter of the enemy. Go back to chapter 2 real quickly and look at 19 and 20. Uh, chapter 2, 19 and 20. When Sembaal, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, this is all verse 19 of chapter 2, and Geshem, the Arabian, Heard it, they laughed us to scorn. <laughs> Look at you, cute little church planner. Look what you're doing. Look at you, cute little pastor. And you think you're doing anything. They're just laughing, scorning them. They despised us and said, huh, what's this thing you do? You rebel against the king. You're not following our society. You're not listening to the government and what the government's told you to do. Be a cute little Christian in your little closet. Don't, don't ever witness. Don't ever say anything for God. Don't ever be a witness. Just be quiet. Stay in your lane and don't have any effect in society. Hey, churches are supposed to be inside this building. I don't want you saying anything outside this building. And for far too long, that's been the pressure of Christians. And we just keep quiet, stay inside, don't do any building, don't do any outreach, don't do any evangelism. And we've, some of us have believed it. And we don't do much outside these walls. We'll leave that for another message. But in verse 19, uh, look at verse 20. Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. I love the backbone of Nehemiah. You know what we need today? We need more Pauls. We need more Peters. We need more Nehemiahs. He said, listen, guys, you want to criticize me? You're against this? Well, God's for it, and we're going to do it. I'm stepping up to do it, and you guys have no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. This is our right to do what God's told us to do. And by the way, if it is God's will that you do a certain thing, then do that certain thing because it is God's will. C.H. Spurgeon said this. Well, actually, let me read, uh, 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 yeah, it's, uh, let me read uh, what, what Spurgeon said. He said, I have never met anyone who didn't want their lives to matter, to make a lasting difference. People would like to think that at the end of their lives they did something significant that can be remembered for. No one wants the memory of their life to be consigned to oblivion. Yet this is what happens with entirely too many people. They live their lives in mundane manner, doing mundane things that have little or no impact on those around them. 
He said, brethren, be great believers. Little faith will bring souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your souls. I think we need the modern-day Spurgeons, modern-day Pauls, modern-day Peters, modern-day Nehemiahs that just, just believe God enough to do something great for God, and not that you are great. And I think sometimes when we see God doing something great in a man, we then put that man on a pedestal. You put it, take me down immediately. I'm, I'm no one to follow, no one to, 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 to mimic or repeat in, in the sense of everything I do. Uh, I'm not to be worshipped. God be worshipped. God be followed. I'm just following God's word. And so as we see God doing a great work, we then look at that work and we say, look what God has done. Look what God has done. If you could say anything about Liberty View Baptist Church, you could only say, look what God has done. And we, we've gone through septic, sewage you know, flooding. We've had uh, ACS called for uh, child abuse and neglect, and we, had, we were found not guilty. It wouldn't even say innocent, you know, not guilty. We just couldn't find anything today, you know. And, uh, you know, we've gone through COVID and cancer and all these things. Black Lives Matter, March by the Building, uh, where we met for church, and all these kinds of things we've gone through in the church. But look what God has done. God be magnified. God builds this church, and he can do that. But we need to not come down from the wall. I don't know what ministry you're involved with or what you plan to do or what you need to be doing here at, um, at the church. But let me, let me assure you, don't come down from the wall. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, would you help us, Lord, to not come down from the wall, not stop the work of God, to not stop serving the Lord. Sometimes it is discouraging and sad, and we do cry, and it hurts us emotionally. Emotions are there. We're human. We will have emotion. We will be stressed and tired and sad at times. But, Lord, that's not a reason to stop. We don't, we don't stop because we feel sad. We stop when we die. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have this, this perspective, to have this commitment that we serve the Lord no matter how long we have in this life. Uh, in this life. With every head bowed and every uh, eye closed, let me ask you one important question. Actually, actually I'm going to ask two. Who would, first of all, say, I, you know, Pastor Dave, would you pray for me? I think God's leading me to full-time Christian work, to full-time ministry. Is anybody like that, you're kind of feeling that call, or you feel like God has something far beyond even, even Lighthouse, that God's leading you to full-time Christian work? Anybody like that? Just put your hand up, and I'll pray for you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Now right, you put your hands down. Uh, let me ask you another question. I will pray for you, but I'm going to ask the second question. Who would say, Pastor Dave, you pray for me. There's something more I should be doing at, at Lighthouse, and God kind of spoke to me during the message. There's something more I should be doing at Lighthouse more serving, more involved in people here in the family of God. And uh, God's kind of shown me that right now, and I want you to pray for me. Anybody like that? God's shown me more that I should be doing or getting involved with at Lighthouse. I see those hands. I see those hands. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, I don't know how you're working upon the, the people here at Lighthouse, but I know you're speaking to some. And uh, Lord, first of all, for the couple of people that raised their hand for full-time Christian work, would you open a door of opportunity, as you've done my entire life, from the day I got saved to, to now. Lord, you've opened doors and made it very clear, and I pray you do just that for those people. Whatever ministry it is for full-time ministry, just make it clear for them to walk through that door and just to keep pursuing your will, of, your will for their life. But then also those other people that there's maybe a ministry or something here to get involved with more at Lighthouse. Definitely many hands make light work, and there's a multiplicity of ministry that is done here at Lighthouse under Pastor Prime. And so I pray as Pastor Prime is made aware of these people and they make themselves aware to Pastor Prime, that you would help him to oversee these people and just maybe some ministries already going or new ministries that need to be started. And we all need to be better soul winners, better evangelizers in our community. 
Much of our evangelism should happen outside these walls than inside these walls. The Lord, help us with these things. For we pray it in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.